Welcome to Fringe Division. Hello and welcome to Fringe Division, a spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 10, Safe, which aired in the US on the 2nd of December 2008 on Fox. It was written by David H. Goodman and Jason Carhill and directed by Michael Zinberg. Right, this is not a spoiler, right? But this is the only episode that will be directed by Michael Zinberg. He's a veteran director, and he's directed episodes of Taxi and Quantum Leap, um, NCIS, and 16 episodes of the American remake of the British sitcom Men Behaving Badly. That's probably the fringiest fact of all of Fringe, that episodes of Fringe were directed by the director of Men Behaving Badly. I know. I think you'll find he probably directed more, but whilst occupying other people who are often heard to mumble, oh boy. (laughs) That's a quantum leap gag for our valued younger listeners. Yes, quantum leap. Yeah. So wait, did he direct quantum leap and then go, wow, I've been offered men behaving badly? (laughs) Well, he's a a sitcom director, really. So I think something like quantum leap... And even this and uh, NCIS are sort of not what he really does. Here's a uh, podcast fact, podcast fans. Fringe Division origin story is that Jimmy rang me up and went, Oh, Martin, do you want to do a Quantum Leap rewatch podcast? That was Quantum Leap rewatch podcast for those of you who don't understand Martin's accent. <laughs> yes. True story, though. It's a true story. Uh, I did want... To which I said, (laughs) Oh, Jimmy, no. Yeah. And uh, and then we spent six months going, Hey, would you want to rewatch Community? No. Would you like to rewatch... Well, it wouldn't be a rewatch for me, though, would it? Community. We've had this discussion. It would not be a rewatch for me. Well, exactly. Yeah, but I don't want... I, I just... I don't want to do the first watch of something to be, you know, for a podcast as well. Because what if I hate it? <laughs> it's not fair, <laughs> you know, on either you or me having to do six seasons of something that I don't like. Six seasons and not a movie. <laughs> oh, Jimmy. No. <laughs> right. Okay. He laughs on the podcast, but later on he cries. Okay, so we're eight minutes in and I can use about, what, two minutes of this? So It's good banter. People it is love good bants. banter. People love bants. Right. You always go, Oh, Martin, you didn't talk enough. I know, and then I have to cut you out because all the stuff you say are fucking spoilers or just nonsense. <laughs> and then I'm not going to do that anymore because now my throat hurts and I still have to talk for half an hour. Yes, you do. 
Um, so, Martin, what did you think of Season 1, Episode 10 of Fringe called Safe? I have to say, if I was writing a list of which episodes of Fringe to skip and which would be essential episodes, I would never do such a thing because we love all episodes of Fringe. Ain't that right, Fringe fans? Playing to the audience. This would be one of the episodes that I would say... This is an important one. Catch this one. It's not like the other nine you've been watching going, when's this story going to get going? <laughs> well, and what and what should we meet Mr. Jones and this one, I think? Yes. You skip other, uh, the ones in between that one and this one. Apart from maybe the pilot. Well, I meant, I meant between those two. I'd keep the um, uh, episode, is it episode four or six with the Observer? Yeah, the one we'll observe for um, the arrival. Yes, this was a really good episode in that, I mean, it's a really cool uh, pre-titles with the walking through wall machines. And as soon as someone's like, I'm going to walk through a wall, you know that the start of Act 1 is going to be Fringe Division standing around a dead guy in a wall going, huh. Yeah, things are getting strange and I'm starting to worry but you're on board for it and it's all to do with Walter's past which we've said before you know you want to utilise your characters so that why you're telling their story mm-hmm. and um, you know Olivia even gets something to do here in this episode probably <laughs> um, I mean if there was a bit of Gene the Cow, this would be a perfect episode. Gene the Cow, as in this episode. It's a perfect episode. Yay! Um, actually, yeah. If, if we're including Gene the Cow, every single main cast member is in this episode. All of them. Yay! Because even John Scott's in it, lying in a tent thing. Like, yes. Unconscious. So I'm not sure I'd count him as a main character. Yeah, he, he's in the, the main credits so he's counted as a regular so all the regulars are in this what I want to know I don't know if you know this Mm -hmm. is was Nina Sharp in London or was that Digital Lies it would be Digital Lies I'm assuming unless Blair Brown was actually in London well that's what happened on Lost yeah yeah because I think it was uh, what's his face Charles Widmore he was in London the actor uh, What's his name from Neighbours? Aye, Jim from Neighbours. Um, and they flew over the actress who plays son and to London to film a scene with him. Just one scene, that was it. Right, so this actually is the, the mid-season finale of season one. Because the show went on its um, winter break after this. So it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Like, we have a cliffhanger. Yes. And the stakes have been raised a little bit because now we have um, David Robert Jones is now back in the US uh, and we know that he's dangerous somehow because he snaps a, he snaps Sarek's neck like a twig. Have you found what you were looking for? No. Um, I'm just looking at all the usual... Well, it'll probably be like IMDb trivia if it is, or, lo- or locations, but I-, I-, I doubt that she was in London. 
It looked quite good though, so maybe it was. No, it did. That's yeah. But it was also it was shot like long lens with a moving camera, so yeah, it could be you do that to hide shenanigans, or it could be she was just there. It is inconclusive if she was there or not. Right. Let's say she was. Yes. Blair Brown does um, theatre work, so maybe she had a a gig in London. Because she hasn't had... uh, She hadn't had a role in this TV show in America that she was um, supposed to be a regular on for a few weeks, so... Is Nina Sharp supposed to be English? I don't think so. No, she just sort of sounds like West Coast newsreader, but I could see someone thinking that was an English accent. Right. Like Blair Brown, perhaps. Right. <laughs> I don't know if she... No, I don't think she is. Right, anyway. Let's let's talk about the plot, Martin. Yes. Right, I'm going to read through the plot. Martin will interject when he's got something important to say, and even when he doesn't. Hooray! Yes, that's how, that's how we do it. Right. At Philadelphia Mutual Savings Bank, a group of men led by Agent Mitchell Loeb, remember him? Yes. Yes. Uh, break in and use a machine that makes it possible to walk through the bank's wall. Like we saw with the apple. Yes, exactly. Several men pass through the wall and steal a safe deposit box numbered 610. This might be more than just a fruit machine. It might be. It might be a very important machine that they're using. Um, one of the men is unable to make it back through. Um, however, before the wall solidifies again, he is left stuck inside the wall. Loeb shoots him in the head to prevent him from talking, and they leave. Jimmy? Yes, Martin? If you were hard up for cash, uh-huh. and I'm going to assume these guys are well paid, and someone was like, um, I'll pay you a ton of money to nip into uh, Lanark Building Society mm-hmm. and uh, do some robbery. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Um, my mum's friend works down there and she'd be ever so disappointed if I got found out. And they're like, don't worry, we're going to use our walkthrough wall machine. And they're counting down the number of seconds that you're still able to walk through the walls which, as established, is not as easy as walking through walls as people pulling you on a rope is involved. Mm-hmm. At what point would you say, I don't want to get stuck in the wall, there's only so many seconds left, I'm going to stay in this vault, thanks. Because, for me, by two seconds, I'd be like, I'll just get arrested in the vault rather than get stuck in a wall. Right, but he thinks he's going to make it. And also... Yeah, but they're yelling out, you know, the number of seconds he can no, get No, I know, through, I know. But he does watching people take significant number of seconds to get through. But he doesn't help himself, is my problem with it. Because he's still standing at the safety deposit boxes and he's asking them to pull him through instead of walking towards the wall and helping the men. He, c- he could walk across the room and stand at the wall and then get pulled through, but he doesn't. He gets pulled the length of the room that he's in. So, if any Scottish gangsters are listening with uh, sci-fi tech, Jimmy is a much better safe robber than this guy. <laughs> yeah, he should put some effort into it, you know? He's only got himself to blame, so... Yeah. Yeah. 
So what did you... What did you think of this? Um, five seconds. Five seconds would be my cutoff. Right. Yeah. What did you think of the effects of this? Of the, the people go through the wall. I liked it because you've seen older films like uh, where they do just kind of you just see the actor sort of fade in mm-hmm. through the wall or whatnot, or uh, like that was kind of how we did it in T two, wasn't it? Yeah. But this, you sort of saw the wall displacing as they came through, which I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah. Since it's 2021, the show's nearly 13 years old, and uh, the effects hold up. Absolutely. Because there is a lot of effects that we don't know are effects. Um, like our backgrounds and stuff. Actually, I can, I can often spot those are effects, like the um, tool shop sign looks no, a bit stuff like, like that. A... Stuff like you can tell uh, is fake. We've had this discussion before about a sign that I, I mentioned, remember? The thing with sign replacements in, like, the mid-late 2000s uh-huh. is it was still lock the camera off and then change the sign. Yeah. Um, and if you're lucky, maybe put a bit of post-camera movement on. The way that's cut in, your brain subconsciously goes this shot is different to the rest of the sequence why and that leads you to going what a bad looking sign replacement even if it's a perfectly good sign replacement it's just in the one locked off shot in you know the sequence yeah which gives it away whereas you know now you'd be able to do a sign replacement in a you know a moving shot um which wouldn't even call attention to itself um, unless it was particularly badly done. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, like, sometimes they can... They hide the fact that they're shooting wherever they're shooting by having background signs and stuff. You know, they, they add stuff in the yeah. background and all that. You, you can't always notice that. You may be able to because you know special effects, but, like... Some visual of, effects, Jimmy. Visual effects. Oh, I I, I apologise, Martin. I apologise. Visual effects. That, that's quite all right. Um, yeah. Special effects are done done on set. Visual effects are done after the fact. That's correct. Yes, I do remember that. Thank you. Mm. Um, right. So there's we've spoke about subtitles. I was watching it on Stars Play, and the subtitles were a bit odd because an opening scene. Where's uh, your Blu-rays gone, Jimmy? You were very proud of your Blu-rays. Yeah, it's just it's easier just to watch it to press like one button. To, to watch it rather than get up off my arse and f- get the Blu-rays and put the disc in. The, the other day, I wanted to watch uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and I had to go through my shelves and find my Blu-rays of Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And then when we went to put it on, my wife was just like, uh, oh, you wanted to watch Pirates of the Caribbean? Click, click, and then played it on a streaming service. Yeah. And I'm like, but my Blu-rays... Right there, I went and got it. Yeah, no, I still collect Blu-rays. I bought a lot of Blu-rays after Christmas with my Christmas um, money. I got Jojo Rabbit and Star Trek Discovery on Blu-ray for Christmas. Oh, nice. I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit yet. Oh, it's really good, unless you don't like bleak comedy, in which case it's really bad. (laughs) Um, It's a very divisive film, it turns out. Right, okay. It's on Sky, so I'll probably watch it at some point. Yeah, so I still buy Blu-rays. Unless it's on Sky. No, I'll still 
if, if the Blu-rays get like loads of extras and stuff, I would, I would buy it. Like I, I could watch the movie on Sky, like Jojo Rabbit, like it, and then buy the Blu-ray because it has extras and stuff on it, commentaries and whatnot. But yes, I don't usually blind buy Blu-rays. What happened in the next scene, Jimmy? Well, I'm still talking about the subtitles in this one. The, one of the guys says the remaining time is 35 seconds, but the subtitles say 34 seconds for some reason. That's because it takes a second for them to come up. Exactly. <laughs> right, the next scene. Um, Olivia Dunham, Agent Broyles, Peter Bishop and Dr. Walter Bishop arrive to investigate and Broyles says this is a third robbery with a large safe deposit box has been taken. Um... Olivia says she recognises the victim as Raul Lugo from their time in the Marines together. Peter and Walter go to a local hardware store and buy an electric Has it been established at this point about Olivia's time in the Marines? See, I was thinking that as well. They seem to be putting stuff in here that in episode 10, like her remembering numbers and stuff as well. Yeah. That we haven't previously known. But was she in the Marines? Or is that just John Scott's memory still? You'd think that Peter or Walter would go, Oh, I didn't know you were in the Marines. I don't know. I'm just double-checking. Right. Yeah, double-checking, see. Denham graduated from Northwestern University with a BS in Psychology and Criminology which is different to the BS you have in Criminology and Psychology, and yep. served as a United States Marine Corps Special Investigator prosecuting Sanford Harris, who was charged with sexually assaulting three Marine Corps privates. Right. So this, that is established in the pilot, but I don't think they specifically say she's a Marine. No. But if you're more familiar than we are with US military, you would probably have got that. Yes, or have better memories than us. Donkeys? Yeah. Peter and Walter go to a local hardware store and buy an electric saw to cut the man out of the wall. That's that's the scene. Um, it's funny because I've been re-watching the Adam and Joe show on 4OD and they did a sketch where they went into a hardware store to buy things for dismembering a body whilst making comments that they were looking for things to dismember a body to see if the staff reacted. Right. And the staff reacted less concerned than the actor did in this scene. Right, but we don't see what happens, though. If I'd been Peter, I would have flashed that FBI ID card he was so excited to get in the other episode. It might have calmed her down a bit. Maybe that's what happens, but they just didn't show that. Then it's not canon, Jimmy, if it's not on screen. Exactly. I don't care if it's in the novels. Yeah, exactly, Martin. I'm with you on that. Right. Meanwhile, in Frankfurt, <laughs> imprisoned biochemist David Robert Jones is visited by his lawyer, Mr. Call, who's played... It's Spock's dad. Hey, yeah, he's played by James Frayne, who's currently Sarek on um, Discovery. I thought it was questionable that they gave the English lawyer the name Mr. Cole, uh, which is the same last name as a former Chancellor of Germany, when you'd think they might have gone with a German character. Yeah. Although I have to say, going by American movies, James Rain has a very German accent. He sounds like most Nazis in war films. Right, okay. Because they're always played by English people. Exactly, I get it, Martin. Mr. Cole, 
tells Jones that the job in Philadelphia was successful. Does this not make this lawyer an accessory? Well, they've got um, confidentiality, so it's fine. <laughs> I don't think it stretches to that, but okay. If you don't like this, you're going to hate Better Call Saul. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. Um, Jones... Oh, no, you should. It's good. <laughs> I haven't seen Breaking Bad. Despite what everyone says, that's actually really good. What, Breaking Bad? Yeah. I've heard that is good, though. So I know, but normally when everyone says it, it turns out to be crap. Fair enough. Jones tells Cole to wire Loeb another um, $100,000, and he makes a list of items he needs Cole to bring in on his next visit. Olivia visits Rawls' wife, Susan Lugo, Lugo? <laughs> Jesus, um, and claims to have met her before as well, but Susan does not remember their meeting. She says the only people at a meeting that Olivia describes were Raul, Jesus Christ, Susan and... <laughs> Jesus Christ wasn't there. He couldn't make it. Traffic was a bitch. <laughs> um, and John Scott. Olivia realises that she's apparently still having his... Um, still has his memories inside of her head and mixing them up with her own. I have to say that the John Scott, is he a ghost, is he a zombie, what's going on, has been one of the weaker ongoing storylines mm. of the show. And this worked in a way that previous scenes hadn't. Yeah, absolutely. Having the whole um, Olivia remembering things of John's, because it gives Olivia something to do, but also it solidifies their sort of connection. As weak as it's been portrayed, it's still there. So that keeps John Scott in the loop, as it were. Yeah. As a cast member, even though he's got the easiest job of it. He's just lying there. <laughs> like, some actors get really fussed if they don't get given much to do. But yeah. I think if I was an actor and that was my job that day, I'd be cool with it. You want me to just lie here for a day? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. I'll shut my eyes. Oh dear, what a shame. Over at Massive Dynamic, Nina Sharp's attempts to delve into Scott's memories for information at a dead end when they find out that crucial pieces of his memories are missing, they soon discover that the memories they need are in Olivia's mind. There's quite a lot in this one. Yeah. The boxes are found to have been bought with bogus names and cash 23 years ago. Raoul's amputated forearm is examined and discovered to be radioactive, leading Walter to conclude that there are after-effects of using a technology to pass through walls. Why did they just cut off the arm? So they just got the saw just to cut off the arm but because that was the most analyzable bit going yeah true but the way Walter was talking he wanted more than one piece of... it's a visual <laughs> medium Jimmy that's true Martin it's not a podcast uh, it's not a successful podcast just like this if I was to cut off your arm it would be useless because no one would be able to see it yeah exactly you know, the narrative would be equally served by just saying that we analyzed the uh bit of meat in the wall. Exactly. But seeing as this was filmed, you want to see a discombobulated hand that can be waved around. Yes. But I thought he was going to cut off more like his head or something. Although he couldn't really do anything with his head because his brain was splattered against the wall. So. I mean, seeing as strange things often happen on the show, mm -hmm. you might think they'd be more concerned he could be a Highlander. Well, there can be only one. See, Peter says uh, that Walter has been like this all day when Walter says something. And Peter says to Olivia he's been like that all day. 
and um, it's been awesome. He says that sarcastically. But Walter doesn't seem any different from any other time that we've seen him. No, they've probably taken something out there. Maybe, yeah. Olivia and Peter go to a bar to find out information about Raoul from one of his old friends, who says Raoul spent much of his time at the VA. What does VA stand for? Veterans Association. Yes. While there, Peter realises um, the numbers of the stolen safe deposit boxes matches Walter continually spouting off the numbers that Walter continually spouts off at night. So I just talk about the bar scene, though, that they do have quite a nice lot, sort of little getting to know you scene here. Well, Livia introduces Peter as her brother Rick, and in another scene refers to him as Mr. Grimes, uh, which is a Walking Dead reference, apparently. Um, that's not actually correct. <laughs> The man, but I read it on the Fringe Wiki, Jimmy. But it's wrong. It's the man later on who, in the bank, is Mr. Grimes. Oh. Yes. Uh, so, the scene where they're just sitting having a talk and Peter's doing magic tricks. And I want to know how he did that. So, what did you think of this scene then? It was nice just to have a bit of chatter and a bit of character building. Exactly, yeah. And find out a bit more about Olivia, who, as established, is underserved. Yes, Um, Not only do you and I learn that she was in the Marines, even though we've already been told that in the pilot, we also learn that she can memorise numbers. Yes. And it's something that she's been able to do since she was a kid. Oh, I wonder if there's something else in her backstory we'll find out. Yeah, maybe. Um, And there's also mention to her sister again. Yes, I wonder if she'll get introduced. Maybe. Peter seems a bit sort of annoyed that Olivia said that um, he was her brother. Rather than, I assume, boyfriend. Which is actually very clever on Olivia's part. Exactly. Because if she introduced him as the boyfriend, it would just shut down any interest in the bartender. Exactly. She she needs she needs that leverage so she can flirt. Yes. Yes. Which can be very handy. Jimmy has found this in his own private investigations. Yes. Yes. I like to... I, I refer to Martin as my brother. Um... So people don't get the wrong idea. <laughs> um, even though we're secretly lovers. If you want to hear our true prime investigation podcast, search on iTunes for Private Guys. Don't. That doesn't exist. Um, just in case people were like, oh, that sounds interesting, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what this fringe is, but I like cereal, so that one might be good. <laughs> Um, when they confront him, Walter says that it's a Fibonacci sequence, and he then realises that the safe deposit boxes are his. Dun, dun, dun. Which is a good twist, because it's surprising, yet feels inevitable. Yeah. It's not like they went, we found the name of the person that booked all the safety deposit boxes. Yeah. It's under an M dynamic. <laughs> Yeah, it's under a W bell. (laughs) This isn't the first hint at things to come, but it is taking it up a notch. Yes. Can I say that? Yeah. You're not giving anything away. They're doing quite a lot in this episode. The show's doing a good job of seeding things that may or may not appear later, let's say. We've talked previously about the show feeling very old-fashioned now in its week-by-week storytelling with a lot of by-the-numbered, almost filler episodes early on. And this shows what it can be down the line and feels much more modern than a lot of the first six episodes, certainly. Yeah. 
Walter tries to remember what he put in the boxes and where the next two are. Now, Gwyneth Paltrow's head? Yeah, exactly. What's in the box? But the scene where Walter is um, at the FBI offices and he's looking at the computers and whatnot, pictures and stuff, I'm back to not liking Charlie very much in this episode. Oh, poor Charlie. Because of his reaction to Walter and his attitude towards Peter later on, I'm like, yes, you're only, you're just there. They have to give him lines. So, yeah, I just wasn't, I'm not a fan of Charlie. Again, I'm back to not liking Charlie Martin. Meanwhile, Broyles discovers the VA that Raoul went to was in Washington, D.C., leading Olivia to find out Raoul and three other patients were in a chess club together. Interesting. Yeah. I've never played chess. No, no, me. Um, the actor who plays Dr. Miller, his name is Amir Arsin, A-R-S-I-N. Um, he's a, a regular on the blacklist currently. Um, I used to watch The Blacklist, but I don't anymore. He'll be so disappointed. I know, he will. He'll The next time we meet up, after lockdown and stuff, he'll be. He'll not like that, but, you know. I can't, what, what can I do? I just fell out with the show, and I just don't like it anymore. It just went in a direction that I didn't care for. Um, solving crimes. Me too. Yeah. Uh, the FBI discovers these men bought a plane ticket to Providence, and Walter remembers which bank he would have used to store something. And we see Gene the Cow Hooray. in that scene where um, Peter gets Walter to remember. Astrid and Walter are brushing Gene the Cow. But when Olivia and Charlie arrive at the bank, the safe deposit box has already been stolen. When they are fleeing, Olivia is able to wound and capture one of the men. She just shoots his leg. I do like Peter just saying, oh, if you were banking there, well, what would you use? This one, obviously. Yeah, it just jogs his memory straight away. It's just, it's the way you word things with Walter. But I like when the guy gets shot in the leg, the stuntman just, like, takes, just falls flat on his face on the <laughs> ground. <laughs> it looks really sore, which, you know, is good. Um, Colter arrives with Jonesy's requested items and is told to come to uh, the following morning with some paperwork. So, Jones asks him to go to his tailor and have a suit made for the lawyer, for the lawyer to wear, yeah. because Jones is planning to steal the suit. Yes. That's not how suit sizes work. <laughs> They're clearly different sized men. They are. One's taller than the other. Why doesn't he just ask him to have a suit, which his tailor will have his measurements made and brought to him that will fit him? Exactly. That's a thing the lawyer can do. Yes. I like in Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indiana Jones sneaks into the uh, submarine base and the Nazi corners him and is shouting at him in German. What he's actually saying is, your uniform doesn't fit. Yeah, because the uniform he stole doesn't fit. Which, yeah. you know, would happen. <laughs> Whereas usually in movies it's like this. Let's just steal some clothes and they fit perfectly. Exactly. Jones also asked Cole for one more thing. Olivia Dunham. <gasps> da, da, da. But then Cole says, I don't own her, so I can't give you her. But, you know. Um, Peter insists on interrogating the wounded man himself and tells him he has radiation poisoning. The man breaks down and says he was hired freelance but does not know his boss's name. He says all he knows is that his crew is going to a field in Westford and Olivia figures out that it is Little Hill, a word previously given to Jones. 
So yes, callback. It's like they're building on the things that happened before. Yeah, that's unusual. That never happens in TV shows. Peter and Walter have a conversation, and Walter tells Peter about a machine that he built. Peter is very accepting of the fact that Walter was attempting to time travel. It's Walter. Yeah, exactly. But Peter's just like, yeah, okay. Does the machine work? Did you go back to 1936? Did you get the guy? No? Okay. But the machine can still get people from, you know, anywhere and transport them. Yeah, okay, cool. I'd be like, what the fuck? See the X-Files where after a decade, Scully's still going, I'm not sure about this, Mulder. It sounds a bit far-fetched. Yeah. Yeah. But at least here people are more accepting of the fact that weird sheep happens. Yes. Yes. That's a reference to a previous episode. It's like we're building on things. Exactly. And it's also a reference to something I cut out, so... (laughs) 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 But if you've heard us saying weird sheep before in an episode, because I think I've kept a couple in because I couldn't cut them out, then... uh, uh, just know that it's a reference to something that we said that I cut And look in the show notes for a link to a weird sheep t-shirt. That's a good idea. Um, that is, actually. Walter remembers the machine he built is hidden in the safe deposit boxes and it's able to retrieve anyone from anywhere. Loeb and his remaining team begin setting up at Little Hill while Jones kills Cole in Frankfurt. Jones puts on Cole's suit and is seen preparing for something by putting on suntan lotion and eye drops. Uh, while the FBI converge on Little Hill, Olivia is attacked and captured en route by Loeb's forces. Forces? Really? Um, Jones is successfully teleported from Frankfurt to Little Hill. The end of the episode. Done, done, and indeed done. So, that sets up things very nicely for... The next episode, Martin. Oh, I'm so glad I did that research into the Nina Sharp scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a Walter line of the week? You know what? I've got three lines of the week. Oh my goodness, you rebel. I like when um, Olivia and Peter wake Walter up and his response is, Oh, did you want to use the room? Uh, rather than being disgusted, Olivia just kind of thinks that's sort of sweet. Yeah, she does give um, a little smile. And Walter's whole bit about imagine yourself 20 years ago, imagining yourself now. And your third one? One of the henchmen just goes, uh, he's got maps, maps of Germany, lines all over it, latitude, longitude. And it's like, <laughs> that's just how maps work. Those are the defining features of a map. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, my Walter line of the week is... I was in Baltimore. I remember a woman with particularly large breasts. It's always particularly large breasts with you. Yeah. But I like it because you think it doesn't mean anything, but it actually does. Because it's a memory of uh... having been in Baltimore um, and putting the safety deposit box there. So that's there right from the very beginning. I did actually look into where you can get safety p- p- deposit boxes. Safety deposit p- p- boxes. I did actually look into where you can get safety deposit boxes. Uh-huh. But I don't know if they let you pick which numbered box you'd like to use. Right. I suspect they might just go, yes, here is a box you can use. Um, another line I liked was um, Walter said to Olivia, are you tripping, Agent Dunham? Um, as <laughs> yes. Like, as as um, delivery. Recreational drug use. Exactly. He loves it. 
Um, did you spot the Observer this week? He was on the security footage. Right at the very beginning. As soon as the, as soon as the episode opens, <laughs> there's a three screens and they all get shut off and the uh, Observer is on one of them. The glyphs this week spell out the word trade. I don't know what this is, but it says for the clue... It's a podcast, Jimmy. We talk about fringe. I smell toast. The... <laughs> The clue from this for this episode and the last episode, Dreamscape, is the symbol is seen on the side of a van, but I don't know what the symbol is. And we've heard the Fibonacci numbers before. Um, Walter said them in the same old story. Yes. Okay, so the next episode, my good, my good friend Martin, Aww. he says as he's scrolling up trying to find... Right. <laughs> yes. The next episode is called Bound. I'm excited. Yes, if it keeps up this momentum, it should be a good episode. And I don't remember it. I genuinely do not remember it. So I'll read the beginning of the synopsis. It doesn't give everything away. Um, after shifty, <laughs> after shifty FBI agent Mitchell Loeb orchestrated David Robert Jones's otherworldly escape from a German prison um, and Olivia's alarming abduction. Indications of a larger threat begin to emerge. Ooh. Ooh, indeed. Join us for that in the next episode. Episode 11, called Bound. That's what we're talking about next. Um, you can follow the podcast at Drop the Pilot Pod, which is my other podcasts, Twitter, but hey-ho, what are you going to do? Um, and shifttobench.co.uk is the website and Contact at shiftedbench.co.uk is how you can get in touch with us with your theories or indeed just general chatter about the show Fringe. Um, where can people follow you on the internet? At the Faldo on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, I've had it for ages, but I didn't mention it. <laughs> yeah, I think I follow you on Twitter, uh, Instagram actually. Cool. I'm also a uh, Goodreads author, apparently. Yes. He is. Martin is on Goodreads because I read his um, short story uh, and I reviewed it on Goodreads. So there you go. And what's the name of your short story, Martin? Uh, not all... This post box has a time hole in it. Yes. What were you going to say? Not all... Not all these hipsters have jobs, which is another short story uh, that is not available as an ebook. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> so you can buy his ebook on... Um, on Amazon, give him 10 pence or whatever he gets. Or buy a weird cheap t-shirt. Yes, that doesn't exist, Martin. It will by the time this show goes up. No point. Thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.